Be handsome, Roland. Whoa, whoa, what? You are grinning out. Charlie blew my mind with that exact thought that we established that every transportation machine slash device is a time traveling device. Mm. Because if you think about the way a bike, like you just said that bikes make you rethink transportation in general. If you think about a car, the fact that you can travel 100 kilometers in an hour, conservatively, you can travel 200 kilometers in an hour if you're a dickhead, with a ton of cargo, something that should have taken you and maybe 15 other people five days to do. So basically it's like plus five days on your whole life that you've now got to do something else other than just trek a ton of cargo, 200 k's or 100 k's. Same with a bike, like you can go 20 k's on a bike in what, 20 minutes or half an hour or whatever. So I mean that maybe would have taken you all day otherwise. And it just looks like, it's like time traveling. It's as close to time traveling as we've got. For sure. It's like the ultimate labor saving device with travel. Yeah. But then there's like a point where you wonder, well, like how much of that labor would I have actually benefit from? So if I'm, if I'm saving all my time by driving, like that's great, I have more time, but ideally I want to use my time to do beneficial things. And if using a bike to get around instead of a car is a beneficial thing, because it's just a way better headspace, yeah. physically better and better for the environment. Yeah. I reckon that's just a much better use of your time, even if it takes longer to get from A to B. Yeah, because it gets it takes you longer to get from A to B, but then you don't have to get from B to C if C is then the gym to go and get your heart rate up for an hour because you've just done that. Like it's a two birds, one stone type situation. Yeah, there's just so many like compounding benefits to being on a bicycle. And driving nowadays, it's not just A to B, it's like A to B and then there's B to C, which is finding a car park. Yes, spot. yes. And the B to C is often <laughs> so much worse than the A to B. And comes at a huge premium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's like, you know, 10 other letters of the alphabet that come in there with traffic jabs, delays, road work, road, which- Road you know, rage? Yeah, road rage, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, but God forbid there's an Extinction Rebellion protest. You know, you can't delay traffic for, for you know, climate activism that's just not allowed yeah yeah if i I'm, i haven't encountered any of it in sydney like the extinction rebellion hasn't upset my life at all but i think about if i was on my bike i can't imagine that they would block off a bike path because that seems to be fairly aligned yeah, with yeah, what yeah. they're trying to achieve yeah. but if they did i love bike riding enough that i'd almost be thrilled to have an opportunity of like okay how can I recalibrate? Like, where, where, what new terrain can I go yeah, and explore yeah. to get to the same place and perhaps be 10 minutes later than I expected, but have, like, experienced something new, something really fun, and have better cardiovascular health to show for it? And that just, like, highlights how much better off you are on a bike than in a car. Like, in a car, it's very easy to be like, okay, if we do our protest here, traffic just straight up can't get over. But with a bike, like, unless you have to get across water pretty much and be like, all right, well, there's a thousand and one different other ways which I can go. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah, the whole world is made of concrete. Like, there will be another way. And yeah. if it's not, then get a bigger bike. That's right. Get, get a, some bigger <laughs> tires. <laughs> get a fat bike and float that thing down water. <laughs> so you've got three each tires on your mountain bike now. Yeah. What's the soft? Have you been on sand yet? No, no. I reckon it would be pushing it on sand, but like, it's tubeless, so you can run them down so low. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, it's a hard tail and it feels like a jewelry. Just right. because the rear wheel is like it's a just, shock absorber. Oh my god! It's hilarious. I've never. I've had. I've had maybe two point sevens on my thickest tired mountain bike in the past, but I've never actually ridden That's a proper solid. fat tire bike. I because they come the, up to like they can get like four or five inch diet. Um, crazy, 
absolutely crazy. Tires, yeah. I, I actually saw a video of a guy on one of them and he goes across a lake and he rides out onto it, like right, basically rides the bike into deep water and then just puts it sideways and the thing floats like a raft. Insane. And then he just gets across and like basically floats it into the um, sand on the other side and just picks it back up and yeah. just rides out of it. It's Ridiculous. the coolest thing ever. Have you seen those inflatable rafts that people carry on like bikepacking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the story with those? Because I can't, I've so never actually, they're just that lightweight yeah. and what they collapse down into like a, basically a balloon. I think they get down to like under a kilo. Wow. I was watching a video of a guy in one of them and he actually, he's paddling out to a glacier that's like meeting the water and just doing ice drops and the whole thing basically drops off and just creates this huge wave and he just surfs a wave in his wow. little inflatable, in his inflatable raft. raft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yikes. Coming from basically a glacier melting in real time. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, that's maybe one very negligible silver lining to glacial melting is that there could be some new surf spots exposed or yeah, some novelty yeah. breaks here yeah. and there, but only if you're in the exact spot at the yeah. one exact time. Probably going to get more consistent. Otherwise, you just need a thinner <laughs> wetsuit, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the future is. Yeah, just thin wetsuits and surfing glacier waves nonstop. Did you see that thing from Vistler? No. Vistler have released this video of their, um, what have they called it? I can't remember what the suit, they've actually called the suit, but it's basically this bio wetsuit. What? And it's a really shocking clip. It's maybe two minutes long, and it's set in this apocalyptic, sort of misty, cloudy pier and it's this this guy who paddles out and he's wearing a wetsuit that has a what looks like a gas mask on it and it's got these two sort of canisters so is he in front fully of, enclosed fully enclosed eyes as well got a got a um yeah eyes as well and got like a screen in front of his eyes which apparently by the looks of the video has some heads up display like an augmented reality type thing he's got um, a panel on the cuff of the wetsuit with like data on it the idea is that this is the wetsuit of the future that will tell you if you're entering or the water that you're in becomes polluted high levels of bacteria too acidic or becomes dangerous for your health then you've got all the data there and it's sort of this it's really edgy and it's very um very confronting and like for me as someone i feel like i bury my nose in this pile of shit that is climate change all the time it was it was almost shocking enough that i didn't want to know about it so i think about like what your average punter is going to feel looking at that and they're just going to go well i just watched a piece of fiction um i'm not going to think about that again because that's really really extreme and too scary for me to actually comprehend properly and but i'll, I'll link it to you because so it's, they've gone full dragon ball z basically yeah yeah okay. it's full apocalypse mode and are they like it really rattled are they going to put man. them into production or is I don't, it just like a I don't know. proof of concept this is what surfing is going to look like in the future I think it's that it only came out last Hopefully. week I really hope there's no commercial need for that thing in future well, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking is like aren't, how much engineering goes into a piece of equipment like that like, yeah. Yeah. like is there potentially is that kind of unnecessary or what's the cost what's the footprint of production of something like that and if we really need to make things like that in order to make surfing you know, stay healthy and enjoyable and basically, you know, have this option for doing it without killing you. Should we really be doing it still or should we just find other things to do instead? Like, well, have, we, have we reshaped the planet so much so that maybe that activity just isn't something that the masses should be doing anymore? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's no denying the, the in, environmental intensity of the surfing industry. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this 
it's kind of really entrenched level of hypocrisy that because you're out in the ocean, same with diving, same with, I guess, mountain biking, but like any, any sport that involves submersion in nature, you sort of, I've, I've been guilty of feeling this kind of privileged sense of entitlement of like what I'm doing is better than what you're doing if you're playing golf or if you're driving cars around a circuit or something like that that has a similar footprint but because it doesn't have the nature element for some reason it's inferior to what I'm doing yeah definitely. but the reality is is that those sports and those activities have like a tremendous footprint attached to them like all the th all the things that you have to do all the equipment that you have to get just to enable you to have those moments out there yeah that's where 90 percent of you know or more of your environmental impact is going to occur and you just turn a blind eye to it because of like the few moments that you're actually after um you know that destructive yeah it doesn't feel like it anyway yeah it's yeah. all been done in the past or it's going to be done in the future when i dispose of all this gear because there's the other problem is that with all these things there's the, the door wide open for consumption for consumerism for needing to replace your perfectly good hardware in a matter of months because there's just a differently colored one on the market that you'll feel inferior for not having oh well, you know they wouldn't put giant billboards up there with mcfanning wearing it if it wasn't you know something that we all needed yeah so that's, that's how it goes i wonder when that changes like i'm as big a mcfanning fan as any other australian slash now, shouldn't person be in the world. Fanning. I wouldn't want him to come well, the guy punch is, me in the water. He'd, you know, chop a <laughs> yeah, he's well. got pretty <laughs> solid fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, the man's we a, find better targets. <laughs> the man's a legend, but he's in this category of surfer who claim that they care about the environment, but they're still propagating a really, really resource-heavy industry. And like globetrotters. Yeah, globetrotters yeah. as well, with these crazy levels of air miles on their passports every single year. And I'd love to think, and I will grant Mick Fanning as the Australian icon that he is, the benefit of the doubt that he's offsetting his flying with things like Greenfleet or carbon credit programs and stuff, but kind of hard to imagine that they're all doing that. Oh, for sure. And it's just the game they're playing at the moment. You know, it's a, literally the world surf tour. You know, they go around from spot to spot to spot continuously, just trying to find the best wave. It just sucks because it kind of rubs off on everyone who wants to do things like surf at their highest level, just thinking that the way you do that is you have to go to these spots. You yeah. have to go to like, you know, the most unexplored point on the map and try to find the perfect wave instead of trying to find the most perfect wave as close to you on the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just appreciating the adventure that comes with finding it rather than just the wave itself. Like you can, like that's as much of the appeal as the surfing is, is the journey that surrounds it for me like finding even mm. even on even at your shitty local when it's two or three foot howling with rain and it's onshore but you're the only one out there and you feel like you're on this like oh, the exposure expedition yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah the exposure surfing is a challenging one though because you just have to bring these big giant delicate things with you like riding a bike with a surfboard on it is just so unpleasant if there's any wind or you have to travel any real distance like it just doesn't work it works for rolling down to the beach from like the campsite or something like that or if you live locally but imagine like if I've, I've been doing that on the fixie from from <laughs> mosman down to kelkel you ride a fixie with a surfboard on it yeah it's like sailing down because military road nah yeah only for a little bit on military road mainly just down to the spit and then yeah that is genuinely awesome. I, I remove all criticism for <laughs> saying uh, what is and isn't possible on the bike. You've just changed the game for me. It's possible, but it's definitely not recommended. <laughs> and you're right. Like, I've been caught in big windy days, and it's like you get picked up. It's like literally like sailing, except there's traffic around, and so it's, it gets intense really quickly. But it's like it's not that practical. 
Yeah, no, you're right. You don't need to withdraw any commentary yeah. about it. <laughs> the one solution I'm just hanging out for with surfing is the widespread adoption of the wave pool. Really? It's you're a wave pool advocate? Oh, it's got to come soon. It has it's to It's already come here. Soon. They're opening them all over the place. Not in Canberra yet, though. Not That's in Canberra, but there's for. one in Yapoon. There's one in um, Tullamarine. They're opening up like they're... Okay. Awesome. Awesome. The cork's it's been like, popped. I'm so interested to hear that you're an advocate, though. It just meshes so well with, like, the basically the lifestyle everyone's living now, which is, you know, working long days, five days a week, having limited, and having huge transport costs associated with where they have to go every day, like time and financial. Mm. Just all of that makes surfing way less attractive when, like, you've got to go out there in the morning. It's like the rat race before the rat race starts. Now. Yeah, definitely. Whereas if you had a wave pool and you know you're guaranteed to get your dozen waves in like you know a local area regardless of weather and prevailing conditions just to some extent like wind will still ruin it and whatnot but mm. swell's always going to be there that sounds pretty good like surfing's going to keep growing the beach will always be there and as long as it moves people like me to that context it just frees up the beach for all the hardcores and and also the people who do actually live there who I just get so frustrated with the blow-ins coming every single day mm, at 7am mm. to, you know, get them pre-work surfing yeah. and drop in at I, all cost. I think, it's, I think it's two different things, though. I think the creation of the wave pool is a brand new sport. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say about them as well, isn't it? That, like, it just, the water moves in a whole different way. Yeah, and you can, you can operate it like a skate park. Like, you've got mm. the same section, the same, it's so mechanical that you've got definitely this ability to progress your skills in a way that's not available in the ocean but there's so much that's lacking in it that i just i'm not sure i'm not i'm not really sold on it especially at like 45 dollars a wave or whatever it costs is that what it costs something crazy uh, yeah no, not into that <coughs> I just yeah think it's bananas it'd just be really cool though if it was like an awesome futuristic demonstration project and like what we can do with renewable energy like imagine you know how there's that big plunge pool like the one they build up in Queensland yeah 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 imagine if you had that thing just decked out in solar panels and solar panels all around it and it's yeah. just like you're turning sunlight into swell because <coughs> it looks pretty offensive now yeah it's not nice and it's like not at all naturalised or anything it's just a big concrete hole in the ground full of water but also that like that massive go, goes like and like a huge amount of whatever that exhaust is mm. that comes out of the one standing next to it and then it looks like it's already rusty, even though it's brand new. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah. I, I, I saw the exhaust. I was like, what, what is that? Isn't it <coughs> just a big pump? Like, why does there have to be exhaust on it? Yeah, I don't really understand it. I think that was the point where we crossed the line of our armchair engineering ability yeah, into yeah, uncertain yeah. territory. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, uh, I shit on it, but I, <laughs> it's not like I'd say no if someone said, yeah, hey, yeah, Rose, yeah. you want to go surfing in a wave pool for a couple of hours? I'm there. Yeah, yeah. definitely I do. <laughs> Like, do you reckon it'll get to a point, though, where it is actually, like, a pretty attractive deal? Like, sort of on price parity for, I don't know, maybe, like, not quite a gym at 20 bucks a month, but maybe, like, a yoga class. Like, mm. You know, 20 bucks for an hour. Do you reckon it'll ever get to that kind of point? I think there's too much infrastructure involved. It's too mm. large. Yep. Yep. There's such big facilities. Mm. And I think that the energy requirements... I almost don't want to know. Like it'd just be, it'd be really interesting actually to have one figure for one, like per wave. Mm. Like one wave costs the equivalent energy of powering your your average Australian home for three days. Or so. It might bet it's something psycho <laughs> like that. 
It'd be something terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like that's just all the reason to just make it like you know you're right in the middle of a solar farm, pretty much. Right. That'd be really, Get really all cool. All the solar energy you can. Yeah. Just yeah, turn it into waves. Surely, Garn, the ACT has so many locations they could do that, like big flat paddocks in the yeah. middle of solar farms. The biggest issue is just like water quality. You know, mm. keeping it all nice and not just a blue green algae bloom. Well, how are those farmers going to feel looking at uh, looking at some giant twin pools or whatever when they're out there on the cracked earth, you know, living the hard life. Oh yeah, no, wouldn't have a bar of that. And definitely not spending any, you know, any money that should be going to them at the moment mm. to pay for them to continue degrading land. Mm. It can't be, can't be uh, doing fun projects when there's still those problems to be dealt with. It's gotta be, um, it's no matter what, it's gotta be a psycho lifestyle to be what like a pastoralist in West Australia dealing with camels, for example, and having- You mean like keeping them off your property, like feral camels? Yeah, they can drink apparently 200 liters of water in a minute. I remember reading that on the ABC and there's just a staggering amount of feral camels. So is that a, that'd be about a bathtub, I reckon, maybe? Yeah, so maybe, maybe probably, yeah, a small bathtub. So, not your Kiri Billy bathtub. I'm just, but <laughs> it'd be a Campbelltown bathtub. Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine the plug line of a bathtub going to a pipe <coughs> and seeing something go it in one minute. I mean, the water wouldn't even come out of it in one minute. You'd need like a hundred mil pipe coming out of that to drain that thing in a minute. Yeah. Wow. It's something, it's something, it's something psycho. And they're doing, the, the farmers out there do helicopter culls where they go up with rifles and they're just like flying around. Their job is to fly around in a helicopter shooting camels. Insane, hey. It's funny how that works for camels, but uh, we just can't do it for Brumbies in the Kosciuszko National Park. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the Brumby situation? Did you read about that, um, that thing that they, there's a, there's a 150 day trainer challenge where trainers have 150 days from some date to track, capture, train, and then present a Brumby in a horse competition and then sell it to a farmer. Wow, that's, uh, hey, I'm not gonna talk any shit on that. That sounds really cool. It's, hey. But it's the only cool thing yeah, in the yeah, Brumby yeah. discussion. Otherwise, it's just this, it's Definitely. a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, oh, there's like, there's absolutely no rational reason to not cull them. Like if animal welfare is your priority, which a lot of people who seem to advocate for Brumbies try and say it is you know they say like oh it's inhumane to go up there and kill the brumbies but the reality is their populations are at such unsustainable levels so as soon as it becomes you know summertime and water runs short they literally all just die and there's no shortage of photos of all these malnourished brumbies and foals just in like a mass grave yeah down by the down by the dry creek bed yeah yeah they, they yeah. literally die of dehydration and starvation that's the cruelest thing that you can allow an animal to suffer from and before it gets to that, of course, they decimate the ecosystem. Like you look at those areas where they all walk down with their hooves and just destroy like the most fertile soil, put it all into the Snowy River, turns it from crystal clear to black. Like it's just, you know, there's no real argument to keep them in there. And just because Banjo Patterson wanted to write a couple of poems back in the day talking about horses, which, you know, farmers released because they couldn't care for them because they went to war, whatever. Like it's just not an argument that should be informing how we manage like yeah in 2019 you know, an, an ecosystem that's like listed as one of australia's most significant and world recognized it's just it's silly it is silly there's 
Mm. But there's so much mismanagement with Kosciuszko National Park, from yeah. from the hooved animals in there to the ski resorts. On it's the topic of ski resorts, have you seen what Threadbow are putting in now? No, please tell me. So Threadbow, this year, they're putting in a gondola for, to replace the Merritt's chairlift, and they're making the cafe at the base of Merritt's just like some mega complex of like pubs and everything. Like it's Where's one me, where I don't really know Threadbow that well. So like... Is the Merritt's one it's, of the bigger chairs, I assume, if they're making a gondola? Yeah, there? so it's, it's Looker's Ride, but no, it's actually the oldest chair. They've just auctioned off all the chairs that were on it. It's like this dingy old two-seater. Oh, right. It takes ages, like, you can't, it's not ski on, ski off. Like, you have to unclip and hold your stuff and, and go up. Okay, and, right. And, like, yeah, so it's, it was definitely the most eligible to be replaced. Mm -hmm. But so they're putting that in, so, you know, just increasing their capacity to shift people up the hill. And then they're also putting in a multi-story car park in, um, uh, in the base in this, like, what is currently an overflow car park. Holy shit. So huge development projects, which like, you know, like I understand that it's a business and it's growing and stuff like that. But the reality is there's one road in and one road out. And that road's been like traffic jammed and closing by like 8 a.m. on a Saturday in like peak season. Now. Really? Yeah. And like you can, you run the gauntlet when you go down, down there on a weekend that you like very well maybe just turned away. Really? They yeah, just, yeah. what, there's just the, the national parks will say there is nowhere, like, there are only so many cars that can get into this area and we're at that limit. So you cannot come in. You oh. you can wait here and wait for someone to come out. Oh but, God. like, you know. You've come it, from Canberra, you've left at 5.30, you think you're in plenty of time, you get there at 7.30 and then, nah. You've got accommodation, Sorry. you've booked a pass, none of it's oh, refundable no. for that, you know, like, it's not, the resort takes no accountability for that. Even though they're entirely responsible, they're not going to refund you for it. Is there any public transport like uh, the ski no. tube for Perisher? No. Just nothing? No, nothing like that. Wow. So it's, it's like, it's a, it's a real problem. And like, like I used to get a season pass every year for Threadbuy. There's no way I would get a season pass now when I know that there's a chance that I might not even be able to get to ride. Yeah. Because of yeah. like, it just being completely full. But I mean, that sounds like the least of your personal qualms with Threadbow for the last <laughs> few years anyway. Like the people there, it's more about what, do you, what would you call it? Like the fucking treason that's going on with the corporate structure running oh, totally. it? And yeah. It's, they've, they've commercialized the hell out of it and just done so with zero environmental integrity. Yeah. The one thing they have done recently is they've said that they've switched to 100% renewables, but they haven't released any details on it. And all they said is that they're purchasing their electricity from the Snowy Hydro. But that doesn't actually really mean much because Snowy Hydro is as much a battery operation dealing in um, fossil fuels as it is in renewables. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, you've like a hydroelectric dam to be completely renewable would have to be turning environmental flows, you know, basically natural water flow into electricity through its turbines. You know, that would be the zero carbon footprint option for running a hydro dam. But what they actually do now is they pump the water back uphill. Yeah. And so when coal-fired power stations are running at their least economical times, which is basically overnight in periods of low demand, it's so expensive for them to turn off. It takes days for them to do so. So they actually pay you to take electricity from them because it's cheaper than them shutting down altogether. So what Snowy Hydro does is that they purchase all that electricity. By purchase, I mean they get paid to take all that electricity. They use it to pump the water back uphill. And then later in the day, when electricity demand peaks, when you can sell it for the most, they run it down through the turbines. Yep. So it's actually just a battery for fossil fuels when yep. you're doing that. It's, you know, yes, it looks like um, green power because it's hydroelectric 
um, in a way. But, but it does kind of secondhand by yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's the answer to that pumping it up with solar power or with a wind turbine or using something else well, to generate totally. the power to pump it back up to that reservoir. Yeah, and that's why like I'm not like like not yet like openly criticizing it because they may be doing that. I love how you say not yet. Yeah. Because I know <laughs> yeah, that yeah. as soon as you find out that Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. you know, you need, you gotta have like a good evidence base if you wanna actually try and mount an argument against something and so mm -hmm. like I remain skeptical and I think that if you want to say 100% renewables, you do kind of need to prove what the origins of the electricity um, is that you're actually using, not just the battery that you're using. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a battery, it's what's powering or what's supplying the electricity into that battery, yeah, which is yeah. in consideration. And yeah, they, I asked them about it. They haven't really said anything. There's just one statement though um, from Snowy Hydro saying that they're using solar power for it. But, you know, like... I think that the burden of proof kind of lies with you if you want to sort of say that you're doing something different to business as usual. Otherwise, like, it's fair to assume that what you're doing is just business as usual. And in Snowy Hydro's case, that's just turning coal into hydropower. So aren't they, aren't they, isn't the Snowy Hydro too uh, in the pipes? Like, isn't that coming? Yep. What, do you know much about that? All I know about it is that the costs are blowing out astronomically at the moment. So what they're originally said for, I think it was like maybe two billion or something. It's now looking like it's in the order of ten to fifteen. Wow! So a huge infrastructure project. Um, what's like, and while that would be, you know, a huge battery, which is what we do need for renewables, it's actually kind of problematic at the same time because what it's done is it's created this situation where everyone who wants to invest in renewable, you know, storage solutions like big batteries, like the Elon Musk one and stuff like that they can see that, okay, well, in 10 years time, there's gonna be this huge one coming online that's way cheaper than anything we'll be able to make at that time if we invest now. So the business opportunity kind of isn't there with Snowy 2 looming. So it's right. created this real roadblock where storage isn't coming online now. And storage is absolutely the gap in renewables. Like capacity production in peak periods of the day far exceeds demand, um, which is a real problem because you wanna capture that supply yep, and shift yep, it yep. to periods of high demand, low production. And when you've got this project just roadblocking it, it's like the worst thing you can have. Yeah, or the most convenient thing you can have if you're Tony Abbott or Clive Palmer or someone else who's an advocate of coal who says, what happens when, you know, the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow and you don't need all that power at 12 midday because you're out and about living your life. You need it at 7 p.m. So we've got clean Australian coal Definitely. to give you instead. <laughs> Fucking hell. I feel like oh. clean coal as a... As a as like just a phrase is going to go down in history as the most treasonous uh, yeah. political thing that's ever betrayed betrayed the Australian public. Like that, it's insane that it's taken a hold and that it's worked. It's like it's like this Donald Trump esque type thing where you just choose some words which are catchy and just sound good, mm -hmm. and then suddenly you are indemnified from needing to think about it any further. It'll be one of those things like the white Australia policy where it's just like, what the fuck were they thinking at the time? <laughs> yeah, you think about those three words, white Australia policy. And you're like, hold on, hold on, policy. Like, who are you governing for here? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It sort of answers itself. Yeah, yeah, it's just farcical. It's unbelievable that that exists as a piece of government history in, in our books, but it does. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, a, there's people out there who want to bring it back. Well, I mean, have you, did you see Pauline's ACA? 
um, appearance at Uluru. About the Uluru thing. Oh my god! And did you see I've how been, she went on it? I've been no. obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she didn't to, even scratch the surface of the climb. She just she had to sit down. It so hard. But I loved um, one of my favourite things. I'm not going to. I feel kind of glad I don't remember the journalist's name because I feel like I'd be up for some defamation if I yeah. did. But that guy wanted to fuck Pauline Hanson so badly. <laughs> The way that they like put that together, I didn't look. I didn't expect a huge degree of journalistic integrity from a current affair, but that guy was just seemed to be DTF. That's all he wanted from that that assignment. And then at the, on the day, she emasculated him so much because he's turned up in the same shirt he's been wearing, clearly freezing his ass off because it's really cold. She's got three layers on. He's like, no, nah, I feel good. I'm good. Look, I'm sweet. Let's go climb. She's like, don't be ridiculous. You, you look freezing. Here, take my jacket. And she just puts her own jacket on him. And it's just like... Too good. But then, yeah, minutes later, she's like sat down, crouched, like looking like she's about to have a coronary because she's all of five metres off the ground mm-hmm. at the beginning of the climb and then needing to come back down. Yeah. Said so she had sore feet. And it's like, yeah, well, that does tend to happen when you don't go walking much yeah <laughs> and then suddenly decide to go and deface a, a large really culturally significant monument it's insane apparently the view from the top of it actually sucks as well like really yeah the view is all about looking at it and looking at the sunset hit it and seeing all the different yeah. shades of light on it you know like you really, yeah you don't really get a you don't get to scale the shape of it when you're standing on top of it i would imagine you know i reckon this whole thing could have been avoided if they just didn't use the word climb you know, it makes you think that like you're actually going to like summit something like Everest or something like that. But it's just a walking track. Like if you don't have to use your hands to get up it, you're not climbing it. You're just walking <laughs> yeah. up it. Although Paulie did need to use her hands. So yeah, and you know, you see all these people going there, like in their active wear and stuff like that, to go. Oh, they're big climb. It's just hilarious. And they all say the same thing. They're like, yeah, I think it's a really good physical challenge. And it's like. Go for a jog around the base of it. Do you know how, yeah, there are so many other physical challenges that you can do other than taking a big shit on a culture that like we've already just decimated. Mm. You know, it's just so infuriating to hear. And as far as climbing challenges go, it's actually not really much of a challenge. It doesn't look it. No, I've got to no, say, no. I'm not a climber and yeah. I haven't been out there. It like, doesn't look hard. Like a good challenge in climbing would be like, you know, Tommy Cordwell, Dawn Wall, Alex Honnold, um, free soloing El Cap. Those yeah. are really notable challenges, which like, okay, if you want to go and do that, then you know, maybe we can make some arrangements. But for you, just some pleb to go walk up Uluru, ah, forget it. And you see these other people there and they're like, oh, I'm Australian, I should be able to go anywhere I want in this country. It's like, mate, have you never heard of private property before? You can't just go anywhere. Like, like, imagine if I just turned up at your house and just like went into your backyard and put up a hammock and was like, hey, I'm Australian, I should be able to go anywhere in this country. Well, that was the craziest thing about that whole piece was how Pauline... Um, proclaimed to three clearly indigenous women that she's indigenous she's like i'm australian if this isn't my land then where's my land and this girl's like um england (laughs) just straight up but it's just there's just such a shocking misunderstanding of native title and it's so devastating that she represents enough people to be a senator to be like a, a prominent political figure that's the thing it always comes back to with these people like the pauline hansons the trumps the Boris Johnson's and stuff is like you can hate them as an individual all you want but at the end of the day they're representing a very dominant view in society and that's like the really scary thing about them yeah yeah and it's almost easier to just um 
to assign all of the blame onto them as an individual and, and, and almost like pretend that they've cheated the system to achieve what they have. But you're like, no, 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 someone voted Jackie Lambie in. Absolutely. Someone loves her. Someone yeah. thinks she's really intelligent and representing their views really well. And she's playing this game now very well where she's basically mobilized all of them to agree with what she's saying and you can't even understand why or what's actually going on. And that's yeah. the scary yeah. thing about it is it's just like from complete left field. Yeah. Or right field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> So you think that, do you think that, okay, what we were talking about before we recorded, um, ending the madness of lawn care oh, yep. as the most, what did you say, the most dominant crop grown in yep. the it's world? The most, most cultivated crop on the planet. Yeah. And all we do with it is water it, to grow it, to cut it, to water it, to grow it. <laughs> To cut it and then returfing it in between to look at it yep and then use other land about about it when it doesn't rain yeah use more land to grow lawn to replace the lawn that we put on the the public lawn and like yeah it just it just doesn't make sense it's it's such a cop out to think that like that's all we can use open space for you know can't use it for food production can't use it for something a little bit more than like a very basic children's playground or um, you know an adult gym which is just basically a chin-up bar yeah, in a day and age where most people probably can't even do it, you know, like yeah, it just yeah, seems yeah. like we could be creating such better public spaces that are like you know inclusive, creating good challenges where risk is really present and like you absolutely could get hurt if you kook it. It's like <laughs> it's another thing which we just would be so much better off if we all had in our immediate environment as like a central meeting place. Yeah, yeah, and mm. yeah, definitely. So, do you, can you legislate away from grass? Do you think because you mentioned before that there's uh, I thought what I thought was a fucking brilliant idea to regulate uh, soil mismanagement and say that you are not allowed to cultivate soil until it has recovered to a certain degree of fertility mm-hmm. rather than just keep pillaging the same p- piece of land over and over again and depleting its ability to actually support anything. Totally. And like, I don't even think you'd have to like legislate it. You just have to let it go wild for a bit. So like we couldn't be doing much worse with like open space than what we're currently doing now. There was a study in the US um, that came out a couple of weeks ago that said if you just mow lawn half as frequently, you get a 250% increase in your insect population. So basically, just really? stop killing it. It's like you're just killing it by trying to make it look nice. Like anything that wants to grow there and yeah, any ecosystem that wants to try and form there, every time you run that lawnmower over it, you're just setting it back to square one. So why does it, why does it look nice? Like what's nice about it that, that that's the dominant um, appeal mm. that, that we conceivably all look at a large patch of grass and feel good about it? Cause you, maybe it's cause like you can see through it and you can just see that there's no risks hiding in there, you know, like, Oh yeah, that's a really good point. You know, there could be a snake a meter from us at the moment and you know, we wouldn't know cause we're sitting next to this really, really awesome fern yeah, it's where dense. it would be hiding in. But then again, at the same time, just because there's a snake in there doesn't mean he's just going to come out and attack us. He might be completely occupied doing other snake stuff. Yeah. Look, hey, wild bush turkey. Mate, they are going crazy they in Sydney at the moment. They? Yep. They're so funny. Have you seen the nests that they build? No. They're like the size of a car. Really? Not quite your car. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they can whack them up in like a day. Really? Mm. Out of what? Just sticks, everything. Yep. They'll like basically prune your garden to make their nest. Yeah, they're crazy pigs. I think they they must be delicious. Mm. Unfortunately, I think probably not in the city, but if you were to encounter a brush turkey out in the bush, I reckon they're probably delicious. You'd be having a good dinner that night, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I'm harboring that as 
uh, a future food source when scarcity becomes sort of zombie apocalyptic crazy mm -hmm. and suddenly all the Woolies and Coles just shut their doors for more than a day mm -hmm. and everyone freaks out. Like bush turkeys. Yeah. I think Get the slingshot out. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, if you were to rewild places and let their populations go nuts and figure out like what the sustainable limit of them is, then you could be basically cultivating them in any community, just like kangaroos, just like indigenous people used to do everywhere in Australia. Yeah. Seems like a much better way to cultivate livestock, get your protein sources and control animal populations without all the other stuff that comes with what we're doing currently. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't that be ironic if, if we could actually decode what the psychological appeal of large swaths of grass is because if it's definitely i think that you raise a really good point almost definitely must be a danger mm -hmm. subconscious you know epigenetic evolutionary biology thing that we are calmed by the obvious lack of danger what if there's also it would be so ironic if we were calmed by the potential to grow things like here's a large piece piece of land that means that this is potential for pasture this means potential for food growth support you know, I'm going to be okay because I can grow some food here. Mm -hmm. But we've just completely bastardized whatever subconscious trigger that is. Yeah. And like that, it has to exist because if all we wanted was just like complete safety and certainty that there were no predators around, then we would be most comfortable sitting in a completely empty room. Yeah. So there is some level of uncertainty and, you know, openness and diversity and everything which comes with a wooded area with grassland in it which we really like but i'm not willing to accept that grass is the optimum level i reckon <laughs> we could add a lot more diversity to it and be mentally better off yeah you know like why would people go like why would you go on a bushwalk if you didn't sort of benefit psychologically either knowingly or not from just all the uncertainty and complex arrangements of plants that you see out there and you know, the chance that you might get bitten by something that you probably won't. Yeah, it's just humbling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Coming to terms with the fact that if you do get bitten with something, maybe you were supposed to get bitten. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's just like getting to the bottom of everyone's egoism. Yeah, yeah it's like maybe that was just what your role was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> As maybe a human that snake was hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just, you know, monkeys on a rock flying through space at the end of the day. Exactly Not right. really entitled to anything. Like, we're all going to have some sort of weird different destiny. So, so is the lack of actual, um, like, edible um, food production in public green spaces, is that because there's just too many pricks who would just take advantage of it and ruin it or not not give it the collective respect and contribute to it as a community mm. effort there'd be too many like i can just like imagine if where we are right now if there was some immaculate community garden and just orderly box like veggie boxes or hedgerows or whatever mm -hmm. of delicious edible food plants i can just imagine maybe not so much in this suburb or maybe in this suburb but imagine just a, a group of like pissed 18 year olds one yeah, night just cruising yeah. along, oh yeah, veggies, and then just like tearing through it, ripping out like heads of broccoli here, ripping out whatever, whatever, just because it's a laugh and there's just too many dickheads that you can't regulate against. So it's just, okay, no one can have it. For okay. sure, for sure. And also like, it's very easy now to be like, oh, that, you know, you'd have to be an idiot to do that. But I don't think there's anyone who can't 
think back to their drunken 18-year-old idiot days and not think of just something completely mindless and pointless that they did. Absolutely. After a night out of green. Especially as a male. There is some gene of destruction that you just is undeniable. And you can be pious and pretend that you don't, but you're a liar if you say that you've never had, like felt compelled by some destructive urge as a, an adolescent male in particular. And just not considering the consequences at all. Just yep. acting on a foolish impulse that shouldn't have had but you did yeah and you did something silly because of it yeah and i'm sure there are people out there now who'd be like yeah i really shouldn't have ruined that veggie patch that time that's <laughs> yeah well that's the thing it's pretty hard to fuck with a piece of grass but all right what about this would you fuck with your grandparents veggie patch while drunk walking home if you knew that they were going to make you a really epic soup with those veggies right. tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'd, I would defend it violently with the same level of aggression that I might otherwise destroy someone else's. No. I would vehemently defend my grandparents. So if that drunken 18-year-old knows that that community garden is going to be feeding them and it's in their best interest to look after it, maybe not by you know helping to cultivate it, but at the very least just respecting it and letting it be, I reckon, you know, it'd be fair enough to trust that as a community we're, we're good enough at leaving things like that alone. I don't know. I think this is maybe where I become really pessimistic, but I think that there's not a good enough understanding of community. So especially especially for an 18-year-old because the, that, that process of support becomes so diluted throughout the community that unless it's food going in that 18-year-old's mouth, there's no concept that they're benefiting from it feeding somebody else. Mm. So... For example, in a practical but uh, reductive way, if we took that that this hypothetical community garden and it was being used to provide food to disadvantaged people, like homeless people or people who are of lower socioeconomic status or whatever, there's no conception of that being of benefit to everybody when in fact it obviously is. You're cleaning up. We're all on the same team here. Mm -hmm. So if you can just, we're only as strong as our weakest. So you... You make the weakest stronger is how we're all going to benefit. But I don't think that perception really is in everybody's brain, let alone this 18-year-old on this destructive mm. rampage who isn't really thinking about anybody but themselves. So maybe there's a communication problem getting in the way of this as well as uh, regulation. I agree. And like maybe with that communication as well, you need to have different messages for different groups. Mm. You know, like the 18-year-old might not empathise with the... I guess the food production for people who can't get food themselves because never, never really had to. Um, speaking in general terms here, of course, there are eighteen-year-olds who have had to fend for their meals before. But you right. know, by the age you're eighteen, if you're, you know, well off enough, chances are you've never really had to like go out and work to put food on the table. It's kind of just there. You yeah. might have to play yeah. a little role in it, but you're not the one who's like you know directly accountable for for it if there's no food there. Yeah, you're dependent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So maybe that argument doesn't get through to them but what if they knew the people who are who are doing it and respected them yeah you know like so what if you had a community garden that was embedded into like a much broader kind of recreational area with all this really sick shit for teenagers to do yes stuff that's so much more fun that it's actually better than going to the pub and getting pissed and you can just you know have a couple beers while uh, i don't know climbing a tree or something (laughs) doing something actually cool like some cool nature-based activity in a public space which is shared and co-managed with a community garden. Yeah, and benefiting people who aren't there with you at that minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and also just knowing that, like, if you destroy that community garden, you're basically shitting where you eat because the people who only do stuff that you benefit from with their surplus labour will now have to go back to 
making the community bed awesome before they can, uh, you know, make your trees look pretty for you to climb again. Yeah, just yep, as an example. Yep. I've had, yeah, I love that so idea. shared co-managed spaces. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm all about. What do you think about, okay, this is a loaded word to use, conscription, not for military or armed forces, but imagine conscription to some sort of system or structure like what you're proposing, where I've always thought that after year 12, there should almost, instead of being conscripted into the armed forces for a year or two years or whatever, there should be some mandatory pause. Like you, you don't just launch into some tertiary study that you didn't really think through, but you feel pressured to go and do. You, you don't necessarily just get thrust into an apprenticeship or a job or something that, I mean, like I, I didn't know shit when I was 18 about myself or about what I wanted or how to operate with the other people around me who were feeling all the same things. So imagine some, imagine this system that you were talking about and having conscription straight out of school, you have, you have two years where this is what you do and you go and engage in some program and it's almost like if it's primary, secondary, tertiary education, it's maybe whatever the, whatever the word mm -hmm. is for between two and three, mm -hmm. two and a half shuri something. I get you. You know I what you. I mean? Like you've got this, you've got this two years after high school before you can go and do any other independent education for yourself where you have to contribute to something like that and you get, I'd say that even the most delinquent adolescents would absorb something from that even if they're resentful for doing it or even if they, you know, want to do something else or think that it's a waste of time or don't see the benefit of it immediately they'd have to absorb something from it. Totally. And if you could do something like that as well, which opens doors for you, like I'm just going to stay with the tree example because we're surrounded by awesome trees. But yeah, like, and you and I are both tree enthusiasts. Absolutely love them. <laughs> like imagine if you got to go and not be an apprenticed arborist, but just go basically look after all the trees in the community in some way, maybe contribute to like, I don't know, creating like a register of them or something like that. You know, you're not really getting paid as much you might get some sort of benefit from it like it's not as much work as it is like a learning and a leisurely experience where you kind of all just get to hang out and get, get the work done in a reasonable time like no one's cracking the whip over you mm. it's not a you know it's not a slave operation or anything like that but you just get to go out be productive engage with something that's really important in your environment learn how to value it and then also learn that there are career opportunities if you want to continue down this path mm. Or even, hey, maybe even like a rotation system through like a bunch of different kind of programs. And if you could do something like that and just know that you're going to have a baseline standard of living provided for you, kind of like what New Start is meant to be, that'd be the best thing ever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. When you're 18 and you come out of high school, like, I'd argue that you actually have been conscripted for the last 14 odd years. You've been conscripted into a classroom where you have to sit in uniformly spaced desks in a system that was designed to basically replicate the original worker space. Like that's just so backward and just so insufficient for bringing you up to speed with all the things that are going on today. That like, it makes perfect sense that people just aren't equipped to deal with what you need to deal with in this day and age. Yeah, they've been so demotivated to actually take control of their own education, yeah. intelligence, capabilities. And you just don't have any real opportunity to actually go out and like see what it's like in the real world. And, yeah. and that takes time. So yeah. if you had two years to do something like that, even if it doesn't rub off on you immediately, you'll reflect on it in 10 years time and think that was a great thing to have done. Yeah, but isn't the problem that, okay, I agree with you completely, but a few, 
I catch myself saying shit like that all the time and then I think, okay, how would 17-year-old roles have heard a sentence like that? And if I had had someone like us t- talking to me about extracurricular programs and, and voluntary education and you know personal reflection and stuff like that, mm-hmm. when I'm 17, I'm like, oh, fuck off, you old prick. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not listening. I don't like, I wasn't digesting that sort of stuff properly. So it's frustrating because I feel like that, necessitates some level of enforcement which is why conscription is a loaded word but almost the only comparable or only relative verb that i can Mm -hmm. think of to to describe it for sure because think about duke of edinburgh programs did you do those at school no i really wish i did though right right i really wish i did as well but at the time i was like extra work yeah no way man no way i don't need a medallion yeah yeah yeah. sweet gold medal bra (laughs) yeah but i mean those that that achievement looked great on a graduate resume doesn't it and really did like has benefited the people that followed through and did it and also undeniably they were just better humans than i was at that age like the people who i went to school with who did gold medallion duke of edinburgh were just like on their own level i was like oh yeah he's doing way better than i am yep yeah yeah that guy's onto it yeah I, i'm not going to pretend it. I, I could have done that or like because that i can see that that took a serious level of discipline and aptitude that i didn't have and wasn't willing to explore I'm like, think about how many camping trips you have to do as an adult just to like finally go on one where you don't completely kook it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to. It's that. It's the voluntary suffering element of it. Totally. So this is where the the idea of um, some crazy high ropes course or an adjacent wave pool or something that would really uh, incentivize somebody to volunteer to a program like that at the age of eighteen or something, and think yeah. this isn't just work. I have this is privilege like this means that i get to access my my quality of living taken care of um and i get to have a shitload of fun doing some awesome stuff that is unavailable to the people not in the program and it comes with two hours of work and one seminar each day and i just do it because and that, that'd be the thing that, and, and, be... and i'm just going to throw it in there while we're specifying the terms maximum four-day work weeks absolute yes. maximum yes break yes. this five-day work week thing yes. at the source yes because it's just silly yeah but if you could mandate it so that i don't think we're, we're ever the reason i bring up like my attitude when i was that age is i think that that level of resentment is kind of unavoidable in especially in the way that our society has been geared well what did you want to do when you finish school, can I'm I take, can That's I, it. Can I take a guess and say you want you were more than willing to work ridiculous hours in a low-paying job for the majority of the time to basically pay for some good times for a small window. Yeah, absolutely. That's the dynamic. Yeah. So in other words, you're willing to throw away. Well, not throw away because, like you know, you still arguably benefit. Invest. From, yeah. Yeah. But you're willing to invest that much time in order for a small payoff at the end. Yeah. So what if you, instead of making it so so separated, you were to embed it? So, you know, you're doing a bit of work and then getting a bit of reward out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's ongoing rather than stratified to this is the time that you hate, this is the time that you mm-hmm. love. And it's like a four to one ratio of how you're spending your time. Yep. Better off having that ratio instead of spread across six or 12 months of like, I've worked for 10 months of this year so that I can travel for two. Mm-hmm. You have split up into the day at the hours of the day like we worked 
however many hours of the day and start rectifying that ratio on a smaller scale. Totally. And that's pretty much this is a huge generalization, but that's quite literally what indigenous cultures used to do. Right. They'd have a small amount of work time through the day and then they would have what they call cultural time after, which would be for storytelling, for traditional practices and basically just enjoying life in a good quality community. Yeah. And if that's the end goal that we can get to just by restructuring society and how we use our time and how we kind of shape adults as well, I'd like to think we'd be a lot better off. Yeah, that, that link between work for play and the reason that you work is to play, is to access that level of freedom and enjoyment. You'd learn that lesson so much better. This is why I think Japanese people are way less fat than the rest of the world, because they incorporate sweet food into their diet without stratifying into savory and dessert. And so like you'll encounter, and I think this is probably true for a lot of Asian cuisine, Sorry to completely derail this into food, but I think it's the same dynamic yeah, at yeah, work, yeah. is that there's the, you then don't identify this ultra-concentrated saccharine reward that then kind of feeds back on itself and presents a problem and a danger and a trap that your brain can fall into in just obsessing over this one piece of dessert. Whereas if you have something sweet during the savoury meal, I don't know, I think though you're... So do you mean like a sweet ingredient like dispersed throughout a savoury meal? Yeah, absolutely. So you're eating it in combination. Think about like honey soy chicken, for example. Yep, I'm with you. Or, you know, some less uh, animal welfare kind of dependent mm -hmm. food. Um, something like that where it's miso eggplant. That's, that's the one that I wanted to think about. Have you ever had like those glazed eggplants that are just delicious? Yeah, outrageous. Yeah. But it's part of, it's not dessert, that's your meal. But because I don't know, I think that that's. I should probably, if it's no, not, if it's not very obvious by now, this is all entirely conjecture. But <laughs> <laughs> this is not based on anything except my own thoughts about the world. But I feel like that's probably definitely in our culture has something to do with why we're the, one of the most obese countries in the world. I think we are the most now, aren't we? I read. I don't know. I think we 67 might. Sixty-seven percent of the adult population. It's something crazy it's, like that. It's absurd. Like I don't know. It's. It's like it's it's super confronting, and like it's one of those things which you can you know you can never assume anything about someone's individual circumstances or stuff. But like you just you see people who you know are suffering from it, and like you just like you just wonder if like they're they're hurting from it. You know? Yeah, man, it, it totally sucks. I, I don't like I don't want to ostracize any soft drink drinkers out there because I'm not above it. But whenever I see someone, especially like. You know, like 9 a.m. in the morning, you see someone on the train station with a can of Coke. And Snickers and bar. And yeah, yeah, yeah. For on, me, that's like a beacon of poor mental health. Yeah. That's someone who is in the throes of an addiction and who is suffering. Maybe they don't realize it, as you say. But that, that's, it's just like this alarm that like, hey, this person hasn't got their shit together because they, there's no way that they've mistaken that as a healthy way to live. Mm -hmm. There's no way they're accidentally doing that because they think it's health food and they think it's benefiting their, <laughs> them but, physically. But, but maybe like... They just don't quite understand how it's like it's harming them and like you know they've sort of been taught they're like yeah that's okay like if you're going to go to work you, you need energy there's energy in that therefore it's okay yeah yeah like, yeah hey, energy just isn't energy though it doesn't, yeah. doesn't quite work that way like you need vitamins minerals all kinds of things that just don't exist in processed chocolate and sugar yeah like it's just not quite there you also got to investigate the way that your body is interpreting all of the stuff that you put into it and if you've never challenged it through some voluntary discomfort and through slogging it in a painful workout time and time again or not eating for a couple of days and just seeing how you feel and actually identifying the way that your body is reacting to the mm -hmm. things that you put in it then 
I feel like that's as big a as big a deficit in the communication as what the ingredients are of bad foods. Mm-hmm. It's like how you how you react and and then think about what you're up against mentally. Like you have to be so conscious of not only how bad these foods are, but how evil the advertisers trying to push them yeah. on you are and what yeah. their intentions are. You know, so if you just wanted some confirmation that it was okay to be having these things at whatever time you want, you'd have to look no further than the commercials that they show you. Yeah, you know, totally. Healthy, happy people eating them in like a beach. Yeah, bright white teeth that aren't rotting off. No, no, no. <laughs> Great haircut, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. just happy. Like, oh, if I eat that, I'll be more happy. Oh, I'll be more healthy. Yeah, it's so scary how vulnerable. And like, how do you, how do you rectify it after the fact? Like, it just kind of seems like the only way to address those things is by a preventative approach in the first place. Like, you know, once someone has developed those habits and they've materialized into such bad problems for them, like it will require a huge intervention, which is only possible with them changing their choices and behavior. Yeah, yeah, And like, in a world with so much freedom, you just quite simply can't do that. Yeah. It just, it just, it can't be done. Well, it can be done, but it requires such a serious degree of disruption that most of those opportunities are illegal. Yeah, yeah, shall we say? Yeah, and you know, any any challenge to people's freedom, whether it's for their well-being or not, is just immediately thrown out. It's, it's like oppression. you can't, you yeah, can't yeah. even say those words anymore. Yeah, it's like there's some freedoms that I just, frankly, would prefer not to have. Like, I I would prefer to not have the freedom to be completely overwhelmed by people trying to sell me things I don't want. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah. Maybe a better way to say that is I'd prefer that they didn't have that freedom. You know, I'd prefer to just know that there's like choices that are made that are in my best interest that just make my life easier. Like think about if you're trying to be a sustainable consumer these days, just how many choices you have to make throughout the day. You're just navigating this maze of like potential ways in which you can astronomically increase your environmental footprint if you just lose focus for a second. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I know what you're saying, but I think I've experienced the opposite of that, where that was what I first experienced was just constant um, decision fatigue, thinking there's so much to think about nonstop and it gets harder and harder and then can eventually demotivate you enough to stop trying altogether. But I navigated that in the opposite way. I realized that the opportunity comes from the inverse where, okay, I've done my research on that one thing once. That's all the that's all the times I needed to research it properly and formulate an understanding of what it is, mm-hmm. how my consumption of it is affecting my body and the world around me, and then it's either available to me or it's not, and then I never have to think about whether I buy it again. So, mm-hmm. like that's the way I approach uh, like nutritionally defunct foods, like crazily packaged foods, all that stuff where it's like, well, no, I know that's bullshit. Like I don't it it becomes it takes like a really weird and hard to describe level of discipline that you don't have to sustain for too long. You just have to sustain enough times to form the habit and then go, cool. I walk into a consumption warehouse, which is some of your favorite, my favorite terminology of yours ever to describe a Woolworths slash <laughs> Coles slash... Consumption church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> consumption <laughs> church. Right. You walk in there and you realize, oh, cool. So 95% of the things in here are not available for me to purchase because I, that would be a complete hypocrisy. That would be going against all of the time that I've invested in researching these things. Why would I betray myself by then purchasing them again? Why would I waste my money that I've earned and at a time, you know, throughout the research of all of these things, why would I do that to myself? 
Yeah, but see, you are what's called a lead user group. <laughs> a lead user group? Yep, you're like the most, you know, out there and basically into all this stuff as anyone can possibly be. So while it's great that that way works for, you know, people like you and I hopefully like to think to a lesser extent myself. Mate, with lesser extent, I'm in your footsteps with that philosophy, no, I no, think. No, 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 I guess it's a, a circular learning process that we're both in okay. a vortex of together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what about like, you know, the mass market? You know, they're completely free to consume all they want to create as much plastic waste as they want and there's nothing stopping them. And that's like, that's the bulk of the problem right there. And while like we can do everything that we want to do to reduce our footprint and, you know, it's the right thing to do and it has to be done. And it does create baby steps towards, you know, making a market, which then becomes more competitive with like the mainstream markets for things like, you know, plastic packaging and stuff like that. Mm. Is it really going to solve the problem? if it's just people who care about the issue investing their effort when you've always just got the freeloaders out there. Mm. Who, I mean, freeloader is almost not the right term to use because... Well, they're, they're, they're victims, man. Victims, that's the word. It, it, it totally, and like, it's, it's like, there's a lot of sympathy implied with that as well, I guess, when like you think of someone as a victim and like, I think that's completely owing here because they're victims of just marketing, telling them consume, consume, consume. Marketing, but also biochemical engineering. Like mm. on, on soft drink, I listened to a, uh, a Dr. Carl talking with a bubble physicist about soft drinks and the way that they are engineered for addiction. And so you think about uh, your soft drink being in, like intolerably sweet when it's at room temperature and when it's flat. Like you think about mm. a cold bubbly Coke compared to a warm flat Coke and it's like you're drinking syrup and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's cold and it's full of bubbles, those are two things. You've got these nerve endings in your cheek called your trigeminal nerve, and it interprets what? the carbon dioxide as a poison and shuts down your taste receptors. Combined with the temperature shutting down your taste receptors, you're then consuming something with no perception of how sweet it is. But all the sugar's getting in you and having that yeah. same effect on your brain to go more, 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 more. Straight more. into the bloodstream. Straight into the bloodstream, straight into this addictive pattern of behavior. And, and it's literally like it's been engineered for, for helpless addiction. And so you have to look at these consumers of that sort of product or someone who has multiple cans of Coke every day, for example, or the bloke on the train station at 9 a.m. It is a victim. That is someone who is a victim of this thing that has been established by whatever corporate structure you mm -hmm. want to assign the blame to for taking his health out of his hands, out of his brain's ability to- Straight up, hey, they're just robbing you of it. That is a victim, man. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm with you. I, I'll, I'll say that person is a victim. Yeah, but then... But, but how do you get them to see themselves as the victim? That's it, the challenge, right? Exactly, especially when they push back against any recommendation you might have for behavioural change, where you're approaching it with sympathy and you're thinking, I want, I, I want you to be better. I want the world that we share to be better. But if you, if you suggest to someone that the way they are living is incorrect, there's such a huge level of insult that comes with that. Who the fuck are you to tell me how to live my life when you, you know, we're just two humans, we're just the same soul who entered this dimension with no idea what it was and trying to do the best that we can. This is the best that I can do, all right? You've got no idea what my life is like. Fair enough, fair enough. But it means like the door is kind of closed for constructive criticism. Yeah, definitely. And we do have like, like, although like we're two people who arrived on this planet more or less the same time, we do have these ways of learning from all the other people who were here before us. Right in scale called science and yeah. if you just listen to it it tells yeah. us basically like you know what to keep doing and what to stop doing yeah and you know that's sort of what you're leaning on entirely when you're just saying you know we know 
obesity will eventually kill you and there's certain choices which drastically increase the amount of obesity that you are going to experience in your short time on this planet. So <laughs> yeah. if you avoid them, like, you're probably just going to enjoy yourself more. Yeah, for longer. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like I'm banging my head on a brick wall and you come up and you're like, hey man, like, you know that headache you've got at the moment? Like, <laughs> right. that, that's because you're doing that. Right, like, right. Yeah, well, right. I'm just going to keep doing it because if I stop doing it, then I'm letting you tell me what to do and that's me giving away my freedom. Well, yeah, and it's also, you've got this brand new influence in your brain saying, keep banging your head, keep banging your head, keep banging your head. And you, you got no, you got no means of pushing back against that because it's been taken away from you by whatever's engineered, you know, into these products to... Just basically rob you of your decision making. Yeah, rob you of your decision making, exactly. And that's what addiction is. Take your it? liberty from you. It's rewiring your brain, so it just tries to do one thing repetitively. Yeah. And that would really suck to be a victim of. Yeah, and yeah, 100%. But anyway, so back to your idea of two years of conscription that's not conscription. Okay, so nutritional classes are going to have to obviously form some sort of... Uh, so it's, well, it goes part and parcel with food growth. So you're basically just trying to prevent everything that's not awesome. Yeah, but therein lies the challenge in that you have to pick your battles, don't you? This is where, this is where it could just fall flat on its face by trying to address too many things at mm. once. Like Coca-Cola has just announced that they are doing all of their bottles out of recycled plastic now. So I rejoice as an environmentalist mm -hmm. at that. I quake with fear as a nutritionist, or these are obviously yeah. enthusiastic yeah. terms. I'm not qualified in either of those fields, but from my own experience of them. But like, it makes me think like that's gonna, someone's going to look at that and go, oh, thank God I can drink as much Coke as I want now. Don't have to worry about it. The, yeah. the more Coke I drink, the more recycling I do. Right. <laughs> the right. better yeah. I get the at recycling. I am. Yeah. Yeah. We're so dangerous. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, like ideally we just wouldn't have single-use plastic at all and mm. ah, what can you do they're just such a big ingrained power you just have to change the system if you want to see organizations like that just have less influence over basically what we look like and how we act and how we spend our money i guess i guess having some sort of educational experience in this two years in whatever amazing green space you and i will shortly design and implement mm. uh, would hopefully... I'll go get the shovel off yeah. the back of your truck. Yeah. <laughs> and that little hand spade I just found at council cleaner. Nice, yeah. The trowel, we'll get in the dirt. But I think that hopefully that would produce a, a mindset of just general consciousness and just elevated mindfulness and ability to perceive future dangers that you might not be uh, educated on until you're confronted with them and the trap that you might fall into. But you'll just your brain will be better equipped to look at it critically, think about it properly, and then make your decision from there, hopefully not under the influence of any sugar-based engineering. Yeah. Just try and like, like, I reckon one of the biggest things we have now that's a problem with education is everything is taught as a science. You know, it's a science to optimize and get the best outcome for. Mm. There's no emphasis on like the art that comes with everything as well. Mm. And so much of living well is, it's an art. Yeah. Isn't it? Like, you know, you try and just be as like, just as like smart and well structured in your choices as you can be, and like I guess that's sort of like blurring the distinction between like the art science, but like economics, for example. When economics was invented, it was just purely thought of as an art. It was the art of managing the household. 
The science came later when they were like, oh, we can use economics to basically optimise production of things and maximise profit. That was only when scientific models started getting put to economics and it became, you know, one of the early social sciences. Right. Before that, it was just concerned with, like, the material inflow and outflow of a household and just, like, how seamlessly you could basically bridge that gap between them to create, like, a productive and healthy household. And so if, like, you emphasise the art in which you do things instead of, like, the outcome, then suddenly... It's like transport. You're not just trying to get from A to B in as quick a time as possible. You're trying to make sure that it's like the richest and most beneficial experience. And that's what it needs to be. And if you yeah, can create yeah, those yeah. experiences while providing all the things that we need to survive and be happy and prosper without completely decimating the planet, who wouldn't want to do that? Right, right. <laughs> and hey, look at all the climate strikers. If you were to tell me that there's not demand from kids to do something better when they finish school, then just work really hard in a business which they probably don't agree with the morals of to then catch a flight around the planet to go get pissed in pubs that you know have been designed in a waiting for them that are just tourist traps on the other side of the planet i think that model can be beaten yeah agreed mm. and even if even if there's enough indignance at the current protests the fact is is that these school kids will be school leavers and operating adults soon enough and I love the idea that that we live in this time that you can, like, there's no way that I had as much, uh, as much of a moral backbone as these kids who are out there protesting and really committing their, their energy towards it. And hopefully that means that, yeah, they will leave school and then not just take the first graduate job they're offered if it's going to compromise their ethics and compromise their integrity. And that's an inspiring thing, even Definitely. if, even if it, even if it isn't currently reflected in large volumes of success with the Extinction Rebellion protests, it symbolises what's to come, which is going to be great. Definitely. And, you know, there's so much talk about, like, how hypocritical they all are, because they're going to do things like, you know, take air flights to go around the place and, you know, have huge carbon footprints and all these ways that we're sort of forced to, because we don't really have that many options to do other things in, you know, a Western society. If you can create those other things, which basically allow people to live a very like local nature-based life in their own community, then then you're providing better options to spend your time other than just slaving away to make all this money to take overseas and spend, mm. which is really shit for the economy as well, I might add. Mm. <laughs> mm. Tourism is an import to whichever country um, you leave from, funnily enough. Oh, from whichever country you leave from. So, Shit, like, I've never thought about it in those terms. That's got, so true. If you've got people coming and spending your money, their money in your country, that's great for you. It's terrible for the country that they've come from. Yeah. It's yeah. just money leaving their economy. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel, I feel like Australians are the most internationally intrepid, some of the most internationally intrepid people, so disinterested in their own country. I've been guilty of that. Oh, same. And frankly, I'm, I'm not going to sign myself up for any commitments about not flying again anytime soon but my last experience with an airport was about as you know normal as an airport experience can be and it was genuinely horrible why would have anything in particular happen just the fact that you're in airports and on planes for so long and just like i get off the like i had a big trip like went over to new york and back and you know it was like 30 hours each way and it took me weeks to recover like i didn't even recover while i was on the holiday i was just like i feel physically weak from the flight like yeah if i had to go and do anything that like i'd normally feel that's kind of like you know like heavily challenging while back home i'd be incapable of doing it over mm. here all i can really do is just drink alcohol and eat bad food <laughs> and hey that's all that's all that's going in america anyway so yeah that option was easy fasting is a good cheat code for 
big flights, I reckon. Yeah? The last few big flights I took. Just uh, don't eat the food they give you? Don't eat a thing, yeah. Okay. It's just the perfect opportunity to, I mean, like the food is shit, it's full horrible. stop, exclusively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your immune system is gonna suffer with constant, I mean, aside from the insulin dump that you're constantly receiving every time you consume carbohydrate, the fact that your immunity is compromised at a time when you are the most vulnerable to some sort of germs, like in a metal tube with 300 other people confined. Like there's a lot of shit. It's, that's the other thing. It's, it's like, if a contagion was ever going to break out, it's going to be in an airport. Yeah. The human traffic going in and out of those things are like poorly ventilated environments that you're spending hours in. Yeah, it makes all the biosecurity measures laughable because it's like, hold on, we've got people from all corners of the globe in the one place. There's no way that someone who walked in a rural area, like that all of those people declared that there wouldn't be any soil on their shoes and they were immaculately clean before they left whatever farm they were on. You're basically no giving everyone the chance to be like a soil scientist for a second. It's like, yeah, you make the call whether uh, any microscopic bacteria might be on your shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how much of a biosecurity risk am I? Um, I'm in a rush, not at all. Yeah, yeah, feeling pretty clean today, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I think the fasting thing, there's a lot to be said for that on the, on the planes and recovering some of the strength that you definitely lose. Because everyone feels the same. I, I always, my first port of call after being on any plane is to go surfing and just try and yeah, get in get the sea. In the and but you feel slippery, like everything feels slippery. Yeah. And it's like you can wax up as good as you want, but it's weird. It's your like- balance isn't there or anything. Yeah, yeah, everything's just kind of off. All your equilibriums and contact surfaces are just not how they're supposed to be. It's like, it changes your body physically. There's a cosmic well. radiation element to it as well. Like what? there's more radiation per flight than for an MRI. So there's some crazy stats like that. Literally because you're like, you're flying, you're, you're in the stratosphere or whatever. Like you're, you're receiving radiation from other sources outside Earth and you're not being protected by all of these atmospheric things that are protecting you when you're on the ground. There's a lot of radiation from flying. I, just, I didn't even think about that. Like, mm. there's, I don't know, there's just so much that's going on with like what's happening to your body with it as well. That's just like the cherry on top of the pie to make yeah. you not want to get on another aeroplane. Yeah, aside from walking through the metal detectors or standing in one of those like the things that spin around you and thinking, well, I feel like this is probably frying one of my organs or yeah. all of my organs right now. Yeah, yeah. That's the least of your worries. If you're about to sit on a plane for 14 hours, it's going to be a lot worse. What happens as well? Like, like, you know when you go scuba diving, how your body compresses? Mm. The opposite happens when you go up into the sky. And like, I've always wondered like why my feet swell up so much on a flight and thought like, oh, it's got to be because like I'm sitting down for so long. So I'd get up and like, you know, find somewhere to lie down, keep my legs up to let them drain. But like, just never beat that one thing. So it's, like, it's just like everything. Everything's dilating. Yeah, everything's dilating. Wow. Is that the whole Simpsons thing that you go up into space without a suit and you just pop like a balloon? Everything just goes like, explodes? You remember that? I, I'm completely out of my depths commenting, but I want to think yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember. I think it was one of the Halloween episodes, but they're in space for some reason. And I think Homer takes his helmet off and he's just like, ah, just like relaxes, but his head swells up like a balloon and then pops. Maybe along those, I mean, they predicted the whole Trump thing. So I feel like that's probably scientifically accurate. Uh, you'd like to think so. Apparently there's a shitload of PhDs in that office as well. Yeah. A studio, not really an office. <laughs> Everything that comes out of that, uh, like that's coming out now. Have you seen those screen grabs of like, there was one from the other day of Greta Thunberg standing behind Trump and it's like, 
it's it's frame for frame identical to a cartoons uh, Simpsons frame of Trump with Lisa Simpson standing in the back. That is such like, a good parallel. I haven't seen that. That's amazing. It's crazy, <laughs> man. And like um, Trump coming down the stairs of that escalator as president. They had they like, shot for shot. Shot for shot. It it's insane. Probably the closest thing to predicting the future that I think has ever come out of a cartoon, let alone yeah. TV in general. Yeah, it's a proper glitch in the matrix. It's like, yeah. if you want to get paranoid about simulation theory, oh, don't, dude, not the simulation don't paradox. watch too much Simpsons. Don't send me down the simulation paradox rabbit hole again. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think I can do without that conversation <laughs> for today as well. <laughs> but one note on the simulation paradox. Jesus Christ, okay. The only good take home <laughs> of it that like makes me be like, okay, yeah, sure, it is statistically more likely that we're living in a simulation than we're not, is that even if we are living in a simulation, we've been like we've obviously worked out how to simulate all the very undesirable things like go to jail for the rest of your life and things like that. Mm, so, mm. you know, it actually shouldn't affect your decision making, which means that it is kind of irrelevant at the end of the day. It definitely shouldn't affect your decision making because if it is all real, then you're powerless to do a thing about it. So yeah. <laughs> try not to enjoy your life any less than you would otherwise because there's fuck all you could do about it. Just enjoy the ride. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy the golden years. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the fire out. Yeah, the golden years in the making. That's probably a good note to sign off on. I think we should I think so. switch these off and enjoy the trees. How long did you go? An hour and 16. Oh, awesome.